seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has, no, has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And get, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to abolish them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are suffering your so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be 
put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it is said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right hand, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn what you have sworn but I say to you do not take an oath at all either by heaven for it is the throne of God or by the earth for it is footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king and do not take an oath by your head you cannot make one hair white or black let what you say be simply yes or no anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if some if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him and all and the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not ask the tax do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more what more are you than those others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now come up with me, Angie. Come up with me. Okoro len ni neve wajulike 
Normally, donc, en français, si on, on va prêcher normalement, on va traduire dans trois langues. Normally, when we preach, we must translate into three different languages. Normalement, je veux parler en français et le deuxième personne va parler en Bamana et les troisième personne va traduire en Senefo. Normally, I would preach in French and then someone translate it into Senefo and someone translate it into Mabara. You get the picture. <laughs> this is yours. Um, so that's my that's my typical setup is that I uh, work in I'll do Bambara if I can. That if I get stuck French, and then there's a guy who can. But nobody. We do occasionally have someone who can go from the village language to French, and then that speeds things up. Usually, I preach on a verse or two because that's about what we can get. Uh, there is. Um, there, there's a pastor there now in the town we've been in the last four years, but before that, there wasn't anyone literate in the local language. So just getting a passage out for them to discuss, and then I'd wait while they kind of would back and forth between themselves, and then I'd ask, what did you understand? And then they would say it in Senefo, Senefo de Bombara, Bombarda French, and yeah, okay, or you missed a part, or try to give an example. Or, um, for whatever reason, God gave me a whole... Nice long chapter. There's like a million things I want to say, and I've found in my life experience that when that's the case, when you've got a million things to say, go to the Word and avoid all the things you want to add. So I just want to read through this with you. Uh, do you have it? Is it right there in front of you? Um, I can't. You know, this, it's, it wouldn't be possible for me in sermon form to serve up a chapter, you know? Um, but experientially, this, this, it's not even the whole sermon that, that uh, they give us here in, in Matthew. Um, but it is, there, there's a bit of a finality added to it at the end, so that's why we're going to go over this whole thing. And I want you to process with the goal, of, like he said, uh, of learning to obey all that Jesus commanded us, like uh, he says in the end of the book of Matthew. Um, that was my pursuit as I got into this chapter. Um, I started going through and seeing what is it that Jesus requires of. What does he specifically say? Do these things. So that's what we're going to do here, just reading through and walking through. Uh, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So apparently there were crowds. It seems like there was a bit of a separation here now. He went somewhere else. And the disciples came to him, you know, that, uh, and that's, I believe, the audience we have here today, the people who set themselves apart to be with Jesus. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The first commandment he gives, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were, who were before you. I'm imagining myself as a disciple at his feet and thinking, I missed like half of that. Blessed to peace me. But clearly he, he's, wanting us to, he's putting us on a path here. We're going the hard road. We're going the way that the prophets went. And anybody who knows anything about the Old Testament like this audience would knows that never went well for the prophets. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Second commandment, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, we're taking the hard road and we're taking the public road. He, he's putting us out in front of there. The, the good things that God has prepared for you to do, do them for others to see and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 17 which is also another command. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I guess the way he's talking, you're feeling a game changer's coming here. You know, this is different than the way other preachers have talked in the past. But he says, he's correcting you, you know, unless you think that I'm setting up this whole new regime, no, it's not. I'm not abandoning the law. I'm coming to fulfill it. And he says in verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, so he, that's to the end of time. This law that was set up, the law that Israel lives by, will remain uh, an authoritative thing. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I would take some time to mull over, right? Because the scribes and Pharisees specifically did everything humanly possible to follow this law that he just affirmed as authoritative to the end. And we have to pass that up? All right, but Jesus doesn't give time for people to raise hands, apparently. He just keeps rolling. And he gives us instructions about how to do that. And so it's a list here. How the law will go from just being followed to fulfilled. Okay, here it is. You have heard, verse 21, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And me, a disciple, thinking, sweet, I'm good on that one. Never murdered anybody, nor do I intend to. But I say to you, oh, <laughs> that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
I only have one brother, but yeah. <laughs> Anyone who has one knows what I'm saying. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. I'm guessing that's a Jewish law thing, the council you'd have to answer to an insult. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Making these such definitive statements, it just, how does he think we're going to follow this? Verse 23. It's, and, this, and this is given as a command. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, here's an example, the way we're going to take the hard road and the public, the visible road. If, you're at the, uh, uh, if you are offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms, well, I'll stop there, and then, and then come and offer your gift. The, the center, the, the, the court steps. I, I, don't, I don't know if we even have a place like this that's so holy and central and everything. And you're at the front of the line with your gift at, at the altar and be like, I'll be right back. Like, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine how that would go. But he, Jesus is saying to the extremity just to be right with your brother. Just because he remembers that you called him a fool and you never apologized. You leave your gift there at the risk of everyone's opinion and everyone's inconvenience, and you go and make this right. And then Jesus says, verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What? <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not an expert in the law, but I know nobody goes to jail for being angry with their brother. What, what is Jesus talking about? Still, he just keeps on rolling. Next. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Once again, I'm thinking, no murder, no adultery. I'm all right. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I mean, just it. You're a disciple. You showed up. You, you, you went away from the crowd. You came to Jesus, and then he's just like knocking you down. Like any area you think that you might be pleasing to God in, he just cuts your legs out from under you. Says you've got nothing. It's discouraging. Then he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. I mean, we're reading it in a book, and it's like thousands of years old, but it's like these are the guys that came up to him. And another place, he tells them, you've got to eat my body and drink my blood. And everybody says, whoa. <laughs> they all leave except for the apostles, and that's where the confession of faith is made. But where else could we go? But that's before we get to this time. So he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I could barely get blood out of my finger for my kid's sixth grade science project. <laughs> you know, cut my hand off. You know, Jesus. Oof. Verse 31, it was also said, 
Whoever divorces him, his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Okay, now we've got a law-abiding thing here. A God-given law-abiding thing where God says, if you're going to divorce her, give her a certificate. You know, make it official. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of a sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. If the law's not, okay, we're supposed to follow the law. It's authoritative, but it's not even good enough. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That makes perfect sense to me. Keep your word. I mean, that's, I mean, just, that's just American. You don't even have to go as deep as biblical. You know, do what you say you'll do. You know, My dad told me, if you want to be the best guy at your workplace, wherever you're working, show up on time, work for the hours you're paid for. You'll shine like a star. You know, like, and yeah, I mean, okay, so is he going to say that we don't perform what we've promised to do? Verse 34, but I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But will you say simply be yes or no? Anything more than this comes from evil. Verse 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Taking it out of an entirely biblical context, that last one is tough for a guy in Africa. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. A simple matter of time comes to mind. The, the number of people that beg and, and want to borrow. Do not resist the one who is evil. I mean, you know there's scriptures that talk about us resisting the evil one. Verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? final commandment in this chapter. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This passage doesn't contain all the answers. I praise God for the songs this morning because the songs acknowledge the answers to these, to these questions, to this, just, for me, demoralizing chapter. You know, just 
tears you down. Every effort that you want to make to be Christ-like and law-abiding and pleasing to the Lord. And he says, you can't, I mean, you've already failed. You already looked at that lady. You already uh, turned down people in need. And, and, and unless you surpass these other guys in law-abidingness, you'll never get in. You'll never make it to heaven. And he leaves us with, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's back up a little bit. I don't want to leave you there. He does give us purpose. Verse 45. So that. And then later in the verse it says for. You know, it's talk, he's talking about purpose and he's answering these why we would strive in these directions. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And he's, what he's offering us in this is a place of sonship and a place of, like a son does, of imitation. He's saying, look how he acts. Look how he brings good things, sun and rain, on the good and the bad, the ones who have honored him and those who are evil and against him, who have wronged him. He's setting, there's the law, and you can look at the law, you know, and you can try and follow it. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes are doing. Um, but it's unfulfilling. It's impossible. But if the law as Jesus talks about it here, points us to the Lord, then we see these good things that he has to offer. I want to jump over now to Romans 8, starting in verse 12. Romans 8 does this constant back-and-forth comparison between the flesh, which, which might strive to follow the law, that kind of thing, and the spirit, which is this separate Christ-given um, power for holy living. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. We covered that, right? That's what that chapter we read is all about. Flesh is headed to death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, good news, Are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. One second, I'll get my voice back. <laughs> Whew. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
the uh, the contrast there is just so good. <laughs> Gets me going. Um, the standard is impossible. The spirit is improbable. Unlikely that God would treat us that way. Unlikely that God would offer his son for us. And yet he did. We strive against impossible, insurmountable, law-abiding odds to be a demonstration of good works for the people around us to see that they might know God and glorify him also. Thanks. How much time do I have left? Ten minutes. All right, let's do a few pictures. I'll almost guarantee I'm going to cry for these. These are people I love. Um, go to uh, Tairu. T-A-H-I-R-O-U. This is a little guy. He uh, He's about Joe's age, only he's not. He told us for years that he was Joe's age because he... He wanted to be one better than Joe. And we, we finally, he, he went on a trip with us recently, and so we had to get his, um, his birth certificate to cross a border and found out he's not even as old as Joe's little sister. <laughs> but he has spent a lot of time with us. When we went on furrow last time, the last time we were here about five years ago, you know, there he shot a dart into a dart pretty good, you know, blow guns. He, uh, and he's just spent a lot of time with us. Um, when we left for, for the last time, uh, our, our guard guy said that he was there at the gate for like two weeks before he finally believed we weren't coming back anytime soon. And um, he, uh, it's tough. On the way back from this trip that I told you we went on, it's three days in a car, and we have a, um, a Land Cruiser 70, like the UN cars you see. So the kids are, the, the smaller kids are kind of packed in the back, you know, in this little huddle. And um, they got to talk, and I can't remember, Zach, raise your hand, Zach. Zach likes to talk. He's talking more than he should back there. It says something to Tairu about Jesus being the only way, which I think Tairu knows. He's, he's heard it. He's been taught it. He's, you know, observed it. But Zach's not hearing that Tairu's thinking, if he's the only way, then, that, then my whole family's out. So um, that's... That's where he's struggling, is the uh, not so much the cost to himself, though there would be some. His family's pretty money-oriented. I think if he were a Christian and rich, they'd be okay with it, um, You know, that, which is different than some families who would just be so shamed by it. But, um, but I think acknowledging that if I believe this and, and act on it and participate in my life, it means acknowledgement of the of the desperate need of my family. Let's go to Zan. Z-A-N-N-E. Zan is a birth order name. I think it means the third boy. His real name is Lassina, but everyone calls him Zan. Um, it tells you something about the person. So he, uh, this guy grew up in the Bible club that you're seeing him in here, which is further out from us. Um, and he, he, he knows the word. He spent a lot of time memorizing it, hundreds and hundreds of verses. 
No one else in his family is a believer. And so we struggle together a lot with stuff like we're reading today. Really? Give to everyone who begs? Don't refuse anyone who wants to borrow? Um, love your enemy? How does, how does that work? Like, I mean, sometimes you can't even get next to your enemy. How do you love them? You know, how do we live in that way? His dad would be in the category of an enemy. How do we deal with him? How do we treat him? How do we pray for him? Um, uh, you could go to uh, Bubakar Kone. He, Abubakar Kone, his daughter is uh, albino, and you know, obviously they don't sell sunscreen in the village, so um, we're kind of his sunscreen supply, and he's very thankful. So he's he's become kind of there's kind of there's kind of a surf system in Mali, you know, where your proximity to a wealthy person is like your security, like it would be a bank account for us, you know, like okay, we're good for at least a year because we can see the numbers, and so you know they would think, okay, I've got I've got a firm relationship with someone who's capable of helping, and uh, he does not have a spiritual bone in his body. Yet, I mean, he's uh, he's dead. In this, he's spiritually dead, not yet made alive. So we talk about these things in Scripture a lot. Try to apply them to his life. You know, try to uh, like one of the conversations. He's he's kind of saving up for a second wife, and and then he tells me how much he loves his first wife. And so you know, we start talking through that. We start, you know, um, he he's not yet grasped his need uh, of the gospel, which is the open door to understanding scripture. Um, think, who else is in there? Oh, here's a good, uh, do um, Angeline. Angeline is a second generation believer, which is rare. She's about our age. Um, and she came across the border in the war in Ivory Coast. Heidi taught her how to make soap. That's what she's doing there. Um, so this, she is a believer. So this is a a believer from a believing family, a different kind of category, but um, our life and our family, pursuing scripture, reading it, and being like, okay, I've got to follow through with that. Confrontation, oof, that's a tough one. But if we're going to love people, so that's how scripture tells us to do it, you know. And so with, with Angeline, we've had a real tough and good time, and you see the ripple effects of how um, us confessing our sins before her and confronting her um, has a ripple effect and uh, we pray that that biblical obedience in, in such a difficult area would continue to strengthen that church which I mean it's amazing how fast it happens a group of believers get together with the sole desire of pursuing Christ their guiding principle is scripture and within a generation, their kids already are um, reciting things that are just kind of memorized, sitting in the place that they always sat, because that's just kind of the way it happened. And, you know, tradition can overwhelm scriptural obedience in a hurry. <laughs> and so that that's something that we, we war against, you know. Uh, at some point with the, the local church that was closest to us, um, they would come to me, Culturally, you kind of leverage people. Like you tell that guy your story, and you tell that guy your story, and that guy. He, these three only know it from my perspective now, so I've got a little leverage. They don't know that. So then 
then as a group you can go and say, it's clearly wrong, the thing that you did, whereas they don't know that I instigated it or, you know, that kind of thing. So people would come to me, church people would come to me and would ask me, well, they wouldn't even ask, they would just kind of start weaving this yarn. And I would say, Are, is there any chance we're going to get to Scripture? Because what, I mean, what do I have to offer you if, if I can't help you figure out what to do from Scripture? You know, why would my authority outside of my culture, outside of my language, outside of my country be any help to you if I can't shed some light on it from Scripture? You know, And I, honestly, I, they don't stop by much. <laughs> the church people don't stop by much. But that, I, I want to encourage you guys to live out the Word of God. We've got a good thing going here, a really good thing in this church, but it, uh, it doesn't supersede or improve on Scripture. Um, yeah, be blessed.